0: Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is Celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning, and welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us over in Appleton and Stevens Point. All those who watch us on the internet and television all over Wisconsin. Uh, Summer, sadly, is coming to an end. Boo. One more (laughs) week officially. uh, And then Labor Day weekend next weekend. And then back to the grind. Back to doing life. Children going back to school. One of my favorite commercials is that one where they show... Parents gleefully shopping for back-to-school items for their kids With the music in the background singing. It's the most Wonderful time of the year hilarious But uh, all the parents can certainly relate (laughs) to that all right back to back to doing life, huh? Thankful for the break during the summer though and everybody said Amen. amen this morning Reading from the letter of Paul to the Romans, you know, uh, these letters originally were not written with chapters and verses and stuff. It's not like a book. We call them books of the Bible. It's really not a book per se, but especially in the New Testament, these are letters. Uh, we put in the chapters and verses later, well, it's not me, <laughs> somebody did chapters and verses later so you could find where we're talking and that sort of, they're just reference points. Anyway, in Romans, the seventh chapter, Paul writes of the struggle of the human condition when people want to do the right thing, but they find themselves struggling. Uh, He starts in verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. Anybody ever been there? For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that I do. Verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. He's trying to explain what's going on. It is sin that is living in me. He's writing about the power of sin that becomes very exaggerated. You become really aware of it once you come to faith. Before faith, you don't really think much about it. You just do whatever you want to do and you think you're free, but the reality is everybody's a slave to sin. But all of a sudden you get free in Christ, but yet you still feel this power, this presence struggling with you. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. What he's trying to explain is the power that's pushing you. It's not that you're free of the guilt of doing bad. It's not like you say, well, I didn't do it. The sin made me do it. You know, remember Flip Wilson? The devil made me do it. You know, you can't just say the devil made me do it. The reality is we all have to give an account. But if we want to know what is it that pushes us, why do we keep messing up and doing things and saying things we shouldn't say, doing things we shouldn't do, avoiding things that we should do, but we don't do them. It is because that power of sin is still at work uh, inside of us. Paul's describing what it means to be a slave to sin. The idea of a slave is you're stuck doing things you don't want to do. If you had your druthers, you'd go do something else, but you can't because you're a slave. He's talking about the struggle with sin. So he continues in his letter. He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law working in me, waging war. And that's what happens, the dichotomy of the Christian experience. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin and work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Now, many people have debated if this is... Uh, Paul's experience as a Christian or before he really came to faith. He knew about faith through his Jewish upbringing. Um, I'm of the opinion, I think he's describing that period in his life. Uh, I don't think Paul was living with this constant dreaded, horrible experience that many Christians do find themselves in. Because Paul goes on to continue to write. He says, who's going to deliver me from all this? And then the very next verse, he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through jesus christ our lord he's walking free from this this is what jesus came to do to save us from the power of sin Uh, you know we we read at christmas time you know this verse where the angel said to mary uh, she will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins and we always relate to it in the sense of the, he came to forgive us for our sins and indeed he did the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world but he came more than just to forgive us for being a wreck he came to save us from being a wreck he came to save us from the power of sin itself and so well, man how do we do this Well, he writes, he says, thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, well, well, that shows who does it, who delivers us, but how do we as followers of Christ actually experience it? Because even though one is a follower of Christ, they can still relate to this struggle of not doing what they should and still doing what they should not. Somebody say amen. Amen. We all struggle with this. The question is, how do we live in a victorious state over it. Not to say that nobody ever messes, everybody messes up at some point. The scripture even says, John wrote, he says, any man who says he, he doesn't sin is, is a liar, you know. But if we sin, we have, uh, we can bring it to Christ. He'll forgive us of our sins. But even though we struggle and we might misstep along the way, and there's always forgiveness for whatever, that's not, we're not supposed to be dominated by this struggle of always doing the wrong thing and not doing the right thing. That is not what Paul is holding up as a Christian experience. I guarantee dog to you. Well, how do you know that? Well, you got to keep reading. Remember, these chapters and verses were stuck in. That's not how he wrote these things. These were unending letters. He's continuing his thought. Don't stop just because the number stops. you got to keep reading in context. He says, therefore, the very next verse, this is chapter 8, verse 1, therefore. Whenever you see a therefore, you want to look and see what it's there for. And what it's there for is he just talked about Christ who sets us free from this miserable, failing existence. He says, therefore, there's no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some people read that as well. That means you can keep being a mess and God doesn't get mad at you. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being free from this nonsense. And, and what is condemnation? It means that you're condemned. You're done. You're finished. You're kaput. For all the German heritage people here. Actually, I this word. I decided to call this message kaput. Uh, and uh, I was talking to a friend. Uh, her name's Sybilla. She was born in Germany. She lives here now and the States. Well, so a friend. And I said, says, says, Sybilla, what, what does kaput actually mean? She says, well, it can mean something's broken. If you're working on something, it breaks. It's kaput. She says, if you're exhausted and you have nothing left, you can feel, well, I'm kaput. Anybody feel like that? Uh, Webster defines kaput as being utterly finished, defeated, or destroyed. Anybody ever feel like that? Don't raise your hands. All right? Utterly finished, defeated, and destroyed. Now, we're not supposed to live like this. Paul writes, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In other words, there's no being kaput. Kaput. Reminds me of the the movie League of Their Own. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. It's it's kind of an entertaining, weird stuff in it, but there's always weird stuff everywhere. But but it's a movie about the, uh, during World War II, uh, they were fighting... World War II, they were fighting the Germans, and um, a lot of uh, players, professional baseball players were going overseas to fight uh, uh, in the war. So much so that the teams were depleted and they were suspending games they weren't doing. And of course, Americans are, you know, nobody likes that. It was a major deal, not so much today's, but uh, back then it was, that was America's pastime. that. the foot baseball, I mean, oh, you gotta, gotta have baseball. So now they came up with the idea of having women's leagues who played in these stadiums. And they attracted crowds and stuff like that. People were able to enjoy baseball waiting for the guys to come back home. And it's the story uh, based on, the story itself isn't true, but it's based on the true story of these, these ladies. Uh, it's highly entertaining. Anyway, one of the uh, um, managers of the team is played by a guy named Tom Hanks. You know, Tom Hanks, you know, he he's plays a manager who's this washed up player and he's just a mess. And, he gets stuck having to coach, manage this girl's baseball thing. He's mortified by the whole thing. It just drives him crazy. But he's starting to get into it. And anyway, this one situation, the outfielder gets the ball. Instead of throwing it to the cutoff person who could then whip it in, she tried to make the throw all herself. She messed up. Score run. Hanks is furious. So she comes up to the dugout, and he just raves her out. What's wrong with you? And then turns out and walks away. He's used to dealing with men. Well, she stands and she starts crying. And if you remember the movie, those of you have seen it, he goes, What is she doing? What is, is she crying? Are you crying? And he comes to her and says, There's no crying in baseball. That's the famous line, right? There's no crying in baseball. He's not used to dealing with a woman who's emotions and stuff like that. It's a hilarious thing. I actually watched the whole movie again last night and I found it entertaining. Anyway, there's no crying in baseball and what? There's no kaput for a Christian. Yet, there's a lot of Christians who live kaput, which means utterly finished, totally defeated, and completely destroyed. What are we doing wrong? He says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then he goes on to explain, because those through Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life. Remember, he's talking about the spirit of death. The Spirit gives life, sets you free from the law of sin and death. Now, the question is okay, again, we're talking about the who and the how, but how? How do you do it? I don't know who does it. How does this happen? And it's right there. It's right there in front of us. And those of you who are familiar with the Bibles know that this concept pops up over and over throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's right there hiding in plain sight. It's like uh, our Brecken was just uh, on a trip to uh, out west with some friends, and they drove her little Chevy cruise ee, all the way out to California and back. Had a great time. On the way back, uh, they stopped, I believe in Arizona, and uh, they wanted to see the Grand Canyon. I said, do you want to see the Grand Canyon? Well, they get up close to the Grand Canyon, but they can't find it. (laughs) You can't find the Grand Canyon. She said, we couldn't find it. It's the biggest hole in the world. How can you not find (laughs) the Grand Canyon? So, eventually they found it. It took a long time. (laughs) It's like that right here. The is right in front of us, and here's the answer. He writes, those who live according to the flesh, talking about the sinful nature, have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. I'm telling you, if you do this, your life is going to be kaput. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and life. Peace, what is our struggle? Our struggle is we struggle with stinking thinking. The key to this. The key, we know the who and the how and the why we celebrate that and communion and everything else and those of forgiveness. But but the, the secret to living a victorious Christian life really comes down to what's in your head. How are you thinking? So what do you mean, pastor? Well, here's the reality. Many of us have patterns that are deeply ingrained in us through years of just living controlled by our sinful nature. And even as Christians, a lot of people, they keep reliving it. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You spend an inordinate amount of time constantly rehearsing in your head your failures, your struggles, your wounds, your bitternesses. That person better not do that to me. If anybody ever does that to me again, I'm going to fail it, fail it, fail it, You know, and then we get in a situation and boom, we fail. And then we're surprised that we fail. How did I fail? Because you set yourself up for failure. Look, the truth of the matter, there's no sin that is not premeditated. Well, I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah, you kind of were. I mean, maybe not yesterday, today, but at some point you're thinking, you know, somebody cuts me off like that, I'm gonna flip him off. You know, and and you'll think about it later, you you flip the guy off and you realize it's it's the pastor and you go, oh my God. (laughs) Sorry about that. I I was saying you're number one, Pastor Mark, you're number one, you know. (laughs) You know, we, we do these things and we're mortified by our own behavior and action. Why? Because we're constantly rehearsing this nonsense in our heads. And if you're not careful, it will dominate you and it will cause you to stumble into the law of sin and death. And you will struggle great. That's why the Bible talks all throughout the Bible about watch what's in your head. In Philippians, we read these words. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true. Whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Why? Because if you struggle with stinking thinking, stinking will dominate your life. And if your life is being dominated by stink, I guarantee you, it's not because God isn't big enough to handle your problems. It's that your head is constantly in the wrong place. And while he talks about good things, I think the most powerful thing you can do is to get the Word of God in you. That's why I encourage people to read the Bible. Now, Bible illiteracy is at an all-time high in America. Most people really don't know much about the Bible at all. I would dare say to my own disappointment, much of our own congregation doesn't really know much about the Bible at all, but it's one of the reasons you struggle so much. You know, Uh, but there's no shortcut to this. You think, well, I'll try better. I'll be a better person. You know, when we mess up, oh, I'll try better. But, but you're thinking in the wrong way that you can't just do this by your own energy because you don't have enough energy to overcome the power of sin. And you're like, i can just be a better person. You're, you're still going to fail. Where you need to put some energy in is about how you think and be intentional about your thinking. We read uh, in the Old Testament in Psalm, the very first Psalm, Starts out like this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. And you don't hang out with the bad people. You intentionally, want, I want to do life. But this person whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. And check this out. Whatever they do prospers. Would you not like those four words behind your name? Whatever you do, prospers. Whatever you do, succeeds. See, Pastor, well, that's not my experience. Whatever I do is kaput. Well, that's because you don't get, you don't meditate on God's word. Now, when the Bible talks about meditating, it doesn't mean sitting in a lotus position and going, ooh, all right? You know, thinking, trying to, people, say, uh, I'm I'm trying to reach the state of perfect nothingness. Really, I've been to Iowa. It's not that big a deal. You know, so, uh, you know, it's it's not talking. (laughs) If you're from Iowa, too bad. Anyway, so, uh, it, it, it doesn't mean that kind of, it means to think about something intensely. To roll it around and around and around in your mind. Now, one of the first steps to meditating, and my guess is most people do not do this, or many have never done it. If you've never memorized a Bible verse, you've never meditated. You don't even know what I'm talking about. It starts that. You take a verse. And here's the good news. 30 years ago, 40 years ago. I'm I talking 10 years ago. You know, if you wanted to find Bible verses for stuff, you had to look it up. You had to go find it. You had to, you know, but now we got Google. It throws it right up. Just Google. Bible verses for, and then pick your poison. You know, whatever you're dealing with, whatever struggles you have, whatever you keep messing up. Bible verses for insecurity, fear, sin, whatever, alcoholism, whatever it is. Plug it in there, and boom. There. What used to take us weeks of study you can now accomplish in about two-tenths of a second. But just because it's there doesn't mean you're getting it. And just reading it once, okay, okay. It still doesn't get it. You need to take, and you don't have to take all of them. Take two or three. Start with one. Take one Bible verse that you can understand that relates to your situation and memorize that sucker. It's not that long. All right, most of us can still quote, I wish I were an Oscar Mayer wiener. Why? Because we memorized it. <laughs> and it's not a lot. Take a Bible verse, memorize the verse. That's just the first step. If you've never done you don't even anything what i to talk about. That's the first. Now after you've done that, keep saying it in your head over and over. Keep looking at it different angles. What could that be? You'll find the Holy Spirit will start to show you things. And what happens, you start to change your neural pathways so that your behavior becomes different. Your behavior now, instead of being dominated by the negative thoughts of all oh, you always thought, you know, I'm I'm Puerto Rican. I've always been this way. It's in my family. We're all loud and obnoxious. Which is true, actually. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but that's not an excuse. You need to change the way that you are. Okay? Change the way that you think. Because the word of God is powerful. It sets you free. The psalmist in, in Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why? Because you get it in here, all of a sudden you start thinking differently. You start, and the situation comes instead of the way you've always thought, you now, oh, I'm thinking this way now. And I'm telling you, you will feel it. It will be dramatic in your life. It'll set you free. And now you will start being in the context of whatever you do prosperous instead of whatever you do is kaput. I want you to live an exciting, joyous, successful Christian experience. And here's the thing. Some of us who've been uh, Christians for a really long time, here's the crazy thing. We really have, you know, if you've been doing this for a while and you've got this down, you're living a pretty successful life. And then something in life will change. Something in your life will come into your life you have never looked at before. And you're usually failing in that area. Why? Because you're not wired for that area. You know, again... Google Bible verses for such and such. So. I've never dealt with such and such. So. It'll come. And get that word of God in you. You can be a successful because all of a sudden life changes, challenges, new challenges, and you'll fail and you'll mess up. I've experienced this. I experienced this. All of a sudden, stuff starts changing. I'm acting very badly and not doing what I'm thinking. What, what is wrong with me? Well, I got to get back into the word and get this. Listen, these pathways. It's like it's like riding a bicycle. Do you know when you're Ten years old, and you learn how to ride because you fall a lot, right? And you, you know, finally, miraculously, you can actually stay up on the stupid thing. And as you're going this over and over again, and training your body, you open up these neural pathways in your brain, and you can now stop riding the bicycle, not pick it up again for 50 years. Pick it up again, and you know what you can do? You can still ride the bicycle. As always, I'm always quoted, you know, it's like riding a bicycle—you never forget, you never forget. Well, why? Because it, that's what happens in life. If you will put thoughts and patterns in your life, you will learn it, you will memorize it. So, so I, I have a a display this morning to make my point. This, for those who do not know, is a guitar. All right. and, uh, and, and if you're looking, that looks odd. It's true because you're supposed to play it like this. I play it upside down and backwards, which describes the majority of my life. Okay, so now. Me, 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 me. See if I can do this. <laughs> I've not played a guitar publicly in over 20 years, okay? I'm not talking it's been months. I'm not saying it's been years. I'm saying it's been decades. How can I pick it up and just play like that? I learned that song when I was 13 years old, which was like eight years ago, okay? <laughs> 13 years old, and I worked really, 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 really hard at it. And I'm telling you, these pathways just open up. And if you're a, a really good guitar player, like our, our guys back here... <laughs> You know that what I just did was a little sloppy. Okay, tough. But the point is, you get the point. I can still play it. I, can still, I didn't have to rehearse it. I didn't have to go over it. It's just there in my little brain because I've done it. It's, it's like memorizing stuff. If you work really, really hard to remember, and the same with scriptures, but even other stuff. I, I remember when I was in high school, we were studying Shakespeare. And, and, and if you've ever had a hard time sleeping at night, read Shakespeare, okay? Because <laughs> they'll put you in a coma. But but we're reading Hamlet. Hamlet, right? The great play, Hamlet. And we're studying Hamlet's soliloquy. And most of you are, as soon as I say this, it'll ring in your brain. It's that phrase that says, to be or not to be. Now, what Hamlet is saying, he's talking to himself. He's having this debate with himself. He's contemplating suicide. He doesn't know if he should live or to die, to be or not to be. That's what he's talking about. He says, look, if I just off myself, then all the problems of life are gone. If, if, but, but if I off myself and, and there's life after death, who knows what comes next? I need to really think this through. All right? So, from my high school years, let me pull this out of my brain. To be or not to be? That is the question. To whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against the sea of troubles and by opposing end them, to die, to sleep, Alas, no more. And to sleep we mean we end the thousand natural shocks and heartaches that flesh is heir to. To die. To sleep. For chance to dream. Now there's the rub. For in that sleep of death what dreams may come after we have shuttled off this mortal coil must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of such a long life. I can still quote it. Why? Because they worked really, 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 really hard to remember it. And it's stuck in my brain. I'm telling you, so much of your behavior that you struggle, all of us is because of negative gunk that is in our heads. Patterns that we learned, many of us, before we even came to Christ. Or stuff, just attitudes that pick up along, and thinking about the wrong, and our failures, and this and that, and then you struggle. And then you struggle. And we know that we should be living a victorious Christian life, but yet, Pastor, I'm struggling. What's the key? I'll try harder? No, no, no. What if you want to? Exerve it any energy get it in reading the scriptures get these verses into your life they are powerful they will set you free and all of us who've been christians for a long time and have had any experience of success know that's exactly why because you got your head in the scriptures you want to live a successful life you've got to do this because you will change the way you think again the person that does this is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And then uh, I had a wonderful Christian who's been out church forever, way before I got here. There's, still, there's people actually who are still here after all these years. Very strong people. Put it with my nonsense. But he, he handed me this. He wrote it out. He says, here, here, here's a great verse for you, Pastor. This is in Proverbs. He says, My son, attend to my words, consent and submit to my sayings. Let them not depart from your sight. Keep them in the center of your heart. For they are life to those who find them, health and healing. Do you need some health and healing today? We'll pray for you. But you know, we're. At some point we have to do something and we gotta make some, not in the effort to be better, that's the wrong approach. Be intentional in changing the way that you think. Get these words inside of you. They're life, they're healing, they're strength, they are prosperity. It's a wonderful, glorious thing. Now if you never do this, are you still a Christian? Sure, you're just a defeated one. You know, here's when life's gonna pretty much kick the snot out of you all the time. You're always gonna... Things you weigh you shouldn't. And that's your choice. So you can certainly do that. But My encouragement to you is do life and do it successfully. You want the words, everything they do prospers? You need to get to this. Get these words in you. Let God's word start to change you because it is incredibly powerful. There's nothing like it. Honestly, you start to do this and, and you really get these in you instead of reacting the way that you used to, you start to react differently because you've opened up new neural pathways. You understand what God says and then the spirit of Christ comes because he stays with these words and he empowers you and now the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets you free. Those who are carnally minded, fleshly minded, live in a state of death. But those who are spiritually minded live in a spate, state of life and peace and it's certainly what i think most of us here actually want i'm going to ask our ushers at this time to come and get ready to serve communion thank you as well as at our campuses and our musicians who have fallen asleep in the back (laughs) so somebody wake them up and send them out here and they're freaking because usually i go out five minutes over and i'm actually on time in fact i got 36 seconds And they're not using it. Here they give him a hand. Woo. (laughs) All right. So we're going to now turn our attention to our time of communion. And this is when we reflect on what Christ did for us. His body was broken. His blood was shed. He makes all of what I'm talking about possible. And we experience grace and peace through him. And that's what we celebrate whenever we take communion. But before we take communion. I want us all to say a prayer to you. It's always a good time to kind of reset. Say, so why do you have everybody say this prayer? Because it's really for everybody. Everybody needs to just kind of reset sometimes and, and make things right. But if you're new to Christianity or maybe you've, you've never asked Christ in your life, pray this prayer with us. This can be your beginning steps of asking God into your life to give you the strength and ability to change your life. Let's bow our heads together and let's all pray this together. Say, dear Jesus, I have failed to do the things I should. And I have done things I should not. I ask you to forgive me. Help me to lead a successful life as I follow you. Amen.